Brethren, we're here for the Sabbath today, and I would like to ask you a few questions as we begin. The Sabbath is a time to rest. The Sabbath is a time to reflect. And the Sabbath is a time to worship God. I'd like to ask you to reflect for just a moment this afternoon. Why are you here today on the Sabbath in the Church of God? Why are you here? Because your parents are here? Because you didn't have any other place to go today? Why are you here? Mr. Armstrong used to ask that question all the time, and you know, his answer was usually, we're all here because we're not all there. <laughs> you know, there's a, a missing dimension in our life. Hopefully we are here because we understand the gospel of the coming kingdom of God. We want to be in the kingdom of God. We understand that if we repent and we grow and we change and we receive God's spirit and we're led by that spirit, that we can ultimately inherit eternal life and reign in the coming kingdom of God with Jesus Christ. And that for many of us, that is why we are here. That should be why we are here. But if we reflect on a few more questions, what are you doing with your life since you know these things? What are you doing with the opportunity that God has given to you? And I've got to reflect on the same questions. What am I doing with the opportunity that God has given me? What is the most important priority in your life? Knowing what you do and being offered the calling that you've been given, what is the most important priority in your life? These are things we need to think about from time to time. I'd like you to turn to a scripture to begin with back in Daniel chapter 12. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 12. It's a scripture I think that we read over from time to time and I have read over from time to time and never really focused on some of the words that are here. We tend to read these scriptures and focus on Bible prophecy being fulfilled. But let's read these scriptures and notice something about these scriptures that reveal something about what our calling should, or excuse me, about what our priority should be in our life. It's talking about the time of the end, the time of, that we appear to be living in today. It says, at the time of... At that time, the time of the end, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. We are heading into a period of time that is going to eclipse anything that has ever happened in history. And that time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. The delivery is going to be from a coming captivity. Everyone who is found written in the book. In other words, those whose names are written in the book will be delivered. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It's talking about a time of a resurrection. And some will arise to different futures. Some to everlasting life. Some to shame and everlasting contempt. People who turned their back on their calling. People who rejected a knowledge of God's way. But notice in verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament 
In other words, those who are wise will be given eternal life and will shine as spirit beings. And those who turn many to righteousness. Now, the wise will be those who turn many to righteousness. They will shine like the stars forever and ever. What we're being told here is those who are wise will rule with Jesus Christ. Those who gain wisdom will rule with Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 20, let's notice some comments there made by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Revelation 20 and verse 4, and it's talking about the future of the wise who will reign with Jesus Christ. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, that is, the wise will sit on them, and judgment was committed unto them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness uh, to Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast nor his image. In other words, they were wise. They perceived what was happening in this world and did not jump on the bandwagon that we will see coming down the road one of these days. They had not worshipped the beast nor his image and had not received his mark in their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, talking about those who live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God, that is the wise, will be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, I've read over these scriptures numerous times in the past, but never really until the last year or so began to focus on the fact that it's the wise who are going to reign with Jesus Christ. The wise will reign with Christ. So I ask in the very beginning, what is the major priority in your life? What is the major priority in your life? What is the focus of your life? Do you desire to grow in wisdom? Or are you already there? You don't need to grow anymore. You know, you're not there, I'm not there. We all need to grow in wisdom. But are you growing in wisdom? Can you look back a year ago and realize, you know, I really am older and wiser. <laughs> We're all getting older. Are we getting wiser? Are we growing in wisdom? How do we gain wisdom? How do we grow in wisdom? What do we do to grow in wisdom? Just sit in services? Maybe just pray and ask God for wisdom? What do we do to grow in wisdom? Are there things that we can do, specific steps that we can follow, a specific path that we can pursue? I've entitled the sermon, Seven Keys to Wisdom, or Seven Pillars of Wisdom, if we borrow a phrase from the book of Proverbs. Seven things we can do to grow in wisdom. I want to go over these things with you because we've been called to prepare to rule and to reign with Jesus Christ. We just read in Daniel chapter 12. It's the wise who are going to reign with Christ. What can we do now to grow in wisdom? You know, when I first came into the church and I read uh, some of these scriptures about wisdom, and I read how Solomon had prayed for wisdom, I got down to my knees and I prayed, God, give me wisdom. Nothing happened. <laughs> I prayed some more. Nothing happened. I didn't wake up wiser. You know, bells didn't go off. Uh, people just didn't fall on the ground to listen to my pronouncements. 
They said other things about me. You've got to be an idiot to believe some of those things. But what can we do to grow in wisdom? How can we take advantage of the time that God has given us to grow and prepare? I want to go through seven steps with you, seven pillars of wisdom. Talk about some of my experiences. Perhaps after services, you can share some of yours with me. And if I gave this sermon again, I'd be sharing some of your experiences. Step number one, it's almost going backwards. But step number one, if we want to grow in wisdom, we've got to grow in humility. If we want to grow in wisdom, we first have to grow in humility. And most of us like to be able to sit at a dinner table and make pronouncements. People just stop talking like E.F. Hutton. You know, they just listen to us. But usually they, they listen to us and then blow us off. Pff, God, you know, I've heard that before. But how do we grow in wisdom? The first step is really to grow in humility. And this is a theme that runs through the Bible, believe it or not. Notice back in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3. Numbers. We get a thumbnail description here of Moses, an individual that God called and used to bring the Israelites out of Egypt to pull together the first five books of the Bible. Moses apparently grew up in the palace of Pharaoh. We're told that he was learned in all the wisdom and all the knowledge of Egypt. He was educated as a prince. He was a sharp individual. History says he may have been a general that led troops. He, was under, he understood logistics. He understood aspects of command. He was no fool. But notice what it says about Moses here in chapter 12. It says, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married, for he would married an Ethiopian woman. So they were speaking against Moses. He's just our younger brother. You know, he does some dumb things from time to time. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? You know, what about us? Who taught Moses much of what he knew? Who protected Moses? Who got him into Pharaoh's uh, palace? Who was it that went up to uh, Pharaoh's daughter and said, you know, I, I get you a nurse for this boy. You know, who did this? The big sister. Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. The Lord heard what they were saying. And then we have this little insert, a very small verse. It says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. He was humble. He was meek. He was teachable. He was teachable in spite of the fact that he'd been a general. In spite of the fact he was raised as a prince, he was humble, he was teachable. God could work with him. You know, the unpardonable sin that is talked about in the New Testament is a sin that is not repented of. <laughs> I've repented enough. I don't need to change anymore. And God can no longer work with us. But as long as God can work with us, we're repentant, we're willing to change. We're humble enough to realize I don't know it all. I need to grow. I need to learn. God can work with us. But Moses was humble above all men on the face of the earth in spite of the fact that he led several million people out of Egypt. An incredible quality. 
In Isaiah 66, 2, God gives us keys as to what he looks for in our lives. And here we have a key. This is what God is looking for in those that he calls. We'll break in uh, just the latter part of that verse in Isaiah 66 and verse 2. It says, but on this one will I look. This is the kind of person God says I'm looking for. But on this one will I look, on him or her who is poor. We'll probably all fall into that category if our bank accounts are anything to look at. But it's not talking about monetary poverty. It's talking about a person that is humble, lowly. Uh, one of the descriptive words here, a person that is depressed. That doesn't mean down in the dumps. When you push a pin into a balloon, it's depressed. It's flattened. All the hot air is gone. That's what it's talking about. This is the person I'm looking for, a person that is humble, of a contrite spirit, a broken spirit. I realize I don't know as much as I thought I knew. A repentant person. I'm sorry. I really want to do better. God can work with that type of person. If you're that way, if I'm that way, if we strive to become that way. On this one will I look. On him who is poor, contrite of spirit, and trembles at my word. The Bible says it. I'm going to do it. Don't you know the Bible was only written by man, as a man told me when I came into the church? He was a very prominent person at a medical center where I was studying. I was this kid, 22, 23 years old. I did not have the brain power to challenge him. He and his wife got married because they were both so smart. They had 10 kids, and most of them received presidential scholarships. I mean, this was the type of person I was dealing with. I had to ask him about uh, not taking his class because I said, well, I keep the Sabbath. He said, Sonny, don't you know the Bible was only written by men? He said, I had a brother-in-law who was on one of the committees that translated the Bible, and they found all kinds of things that didn't agree. And said, Sonny, you know, don't you know it was only written by men? I didn't. <laughs> all I knew was I had to keep the Sabbath because that was a commandment of God. And that was what I had to go on. But I did tremble at the word of God and not at the words of this gentleman. He was a nice guy very influential person, but he didn't understand what God had opened my mind to understand. And I had to operate on what I understood. If we tremble at God's word, if we're humble and teachable, God can work with us. He can help us grow in wisdom if we are humble and we grow in humility. Let's jump to the New Testament quickly because as I said, this is a theme that runs through the Bible. It's an important theme. This is not just editorial filler that God puts in a few places because he ran out of things to say. So I'll put this in, you know, because it looks good here. No, this is vital information. Mr. Armstrong used to say that God repeats those things in the scriptures that are important. And this is a theme that repeats in scripture. Matthew chapter 5, first couple of verses, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about fundamentals of Christianity, Christianity 101. Seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountains. When he was seated, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Same thing Isaiah was talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, humble people, people that regard themselves as insignificant. You know, sometimes when you're talking with people, they might say, well, Don't you know who I am? And it really deflates their ego when you say, No, I don't. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, humble, people that regard themselves as insignificant. I remember listening to a fellow talk in the locker room one time in Pasadena. He was just talking, probably talking too much. He said, you know, nobody understands Mr. Armstrong like I do. And he had a rather big department. But this was his approach. He said, nobody understands Mr. Armstrong like I do. I really need to be able to give him advice from time to time because, you know, because I know so much. I watched him over a period of 10 years. His department shrunk. At the end of 10 years, he had a one-person department. It was sad. It was sad. But Jesus said, Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, we all want to be in the coming kingdom of God. But Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Now, this could be another sermon, but as a person that has empathy, they can walk in your shoes. They can identify with you and where you're coming from and what you've been through. They have compassion. They care. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the teachable people, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. This is the theme that runs through the Scriptures. We've got to be humble. We've got to be teachable. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, 27, 28. And this is always humbling to read. It says, For you see your calling, Paul says. Now, he's writing to the church at Corinth. Corinth was a big, bustling, uh, pagan, <laughs> perverted city. It was on a major trade route going to Rome. It was a stop for sailors. And sailors don't do the nicest things when they stop at places because they know they're not coming back. <laughs> and they just cut loose. This was the type of place Corinth was. It was a headquarters of pagan religion. These people were with it. They were the part of the movers and shakers of their world. Paul says, For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God is not calling the Henry Kissingers, the Bill Gates, the Stephen uh, Hawkings of this world. He's calling you and me. People dumb enough to believe the book. I mean, to put it in very plain words. We're dumb enough to believe what's actually written here and actually do it. And God can work with people like that. A person says, well, you know, the Bible's only written by men and this thing doesn't agree with this. And God can't work with a person like that because they won't put their faith and trust in the Word of God. For you see your calling, brethren, how not many wise, not many mighty, according to the flesh, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise, that is, the wise of the world. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Reason, verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, if you were clicking on along with an IQ of 150 or 180, something like that, and you were called into the church, it would be very easy to conclude, well, I know why God called me because I'm so intelligent. <laughs> And God's going to need people to rule in the kingdom of God, so he's going to need intelligent people like me. 
you know, if you're extremely good-looking, you might conclude, well, God called me because, you know, people will be attracted to good-looking people. <laughs> we can come up with all these reasons. You know, God called me because I'm so rich and I can help other people out. But when you read 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27, it's very humbling. He's not calling the rich, not calling the highly educated, not calling the mighty. He's calling us chickens. <laughs> you know, people that are willing to learn, that are teachable. If we want to grow in wisdom, the very first step is that we've got to grow in humility. And just realize we're not the wisest, we're not the greatest, we're not the smartest. But if we work with God, and if we're teachable, then God can work with us. So there's just a couple quick Proverbs that offer caution to us. Proverbs 14, verse 12. <clears throat> I took a couple of years of psychology and philosophy when I was going through college the first time. I was kind of dumb. I had to go through a couple of times <laughs> to get an education. I'm just joking, I hope. But in Proverbs 14, as I, as I mentioned, I took some psychology and philosophy. I learned more about psychology and more about philosophy when I began reading and understanding the Bible. Because God designed our minds. He knows how we think. He knows how we're tempted to act. <clears throat> Proverbs 14, 12. You know, words of, uh, of wisdom, caution, and advice. <clears throat> Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but its end is the way of death. You know, if you hear yourself saying, well, here's what I think. All kind of red lights and yellow lights and bells should go off, warning signs. It's not what I think. It's what God thinks. And oftentimes our thoughts, as we're told in the Scriptures, are not God's thoughts. Well, it seems right to me. Well, we need to check with the Scriptures. Is it right with God? But this is a caution for someone that would like to be wise and grow in wisdom. There's a way that seems right to a person. But the way of the, or the, the outcome of that way could very likely be uh, not something we would like to experience. Proverbs 28 and verse 26. <clears throat> Proverbs 28 and verse 26. It says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Wow, right between the eyes. Here's what I think. Here's what I'm going to do. I remember talking with a gentleman a number of years ago, I was hoping to go to Ambassador College, and he said uh, something about, uh, are you planning to go to college? I said, well, my plans are to do this or that. He just kind of chuckled because he realized my plans probably would not work out, which they didn't. <laughs> God has a different timetable for us in many cases. But he or she who trusts in their own heart is a fool, it says. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. What does it mean to walk wisely? How do we walk wisely? Let's move on to number two. Point number two. <clears throat> Point number one was we need to grow in humility if we're going to grow in wisdom. Point number two, we've got to recognize the value and the benefits of gaining wisdom. Why would we want to be wise? Well, we want the benefits that come from being wise. We've got to put priorities on wisdom. It's got to be the most important thing in our life. If you look around and, and notice what people's priorities are, what were your priorities before you came into the church? And what are your priorities since you've come into the church? Have they changed? Or have they stayed the same? 
your worldly priorities are money. We want to be rich, like these two little monkeys that were sitting on a park bench. You know, and says, no, the two little kids with their farmer outfits on, and they're kind of walking down the the path, and they're kind of exchanging words of wisdom. One little boy says, you know, I've been rich and I'd be poor, but rich is better. <laughs> but these are worldly priorities: making money, making more money, and making more and more and more money. Then when you get all this money, what do you do with it? You run out of big toys to buy. You run out of big toys to buy. But money is a priority. Fame, power. Why do many politicians want to get into office? Oh, to serve people. No, they want the power that goes with that. I remember talking with a fellow who was a member of one, another church group, and he said, you know, all these young guys want is power. All these young guys want is power. He didn't have to tell me that, but he did. You know, with position comes power, and many people lust for power, sometimes for supposedly good reasons and sometimes not. Having fun. Having fun is a major priority for many people. And they do all kinds of things just to have fun. Today we have these terms that uh, I don't even remember. <laughs> but people are seeking today the ultimate experience. Extreme sports, they call it. You know, bungee jumping down into a canyon two or 3,000 feet and dangle there like a spider on the end of a string. We had a young fellow in one of the churches that I pastored. He was big. He's probably about 6'2". He probably weighed about 250 or 260. Really stocky. And somebody dared him to do a bungee jump. And he got on, and they put on the cords that they thought would hold him. And he went right through the net at the bottom. Fortunately, he didn't get hurt. But he was, he was bigger. He was stockier and heavier than what they'd calculated. And he almost had his ultimate experience that he'd never have again. But this is what people are doing today. Life is empty, so they're seeking these ultimate experiences. You know, to eat in the most expensive place on earth, to climb the highest mountain, to do whatever. I was reading someplace that uh, they're creating an underwater hotel that has two or three rooms. It's going to cost you almost, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars a night to get out in a little submarine and stay in this underwater room. It's this ultimate experience. People are looking for something. God has a totally different perspective on what the ultimate values are and what the ultimate experiences are. Notice in <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 4, God tells us what the ultimate experience is, what the ultimate value is. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 4. <clears throat> It's interesting the perspective that uh, is offered here. The, the answer is in verse 7. It says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. In other words, if, if, if gaining wisdom is the major priority in your life, you will be promoted. It's not who you know. It's really what you know and the values that you follow. She, wisdom, will bring you honor when you embrace her. 
when you really you strive to grow in wisdom, she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory will she deliver to you. The ultimate crown that the wise will gain will be a crown in the coming kingdom of God. As we read in Daniel, it's the wise who are going to inherit that crown. So God is telling us here, money is not the answer. Ultimate experiences are not the answer. Fame and fortune is not the answer. The ultimate value is growing in wisdom, godly wisdom. Is that your major priority? Is it mine? This is God's perspective and what he offers. But notice the first five or six verses. Who's he telling wisdom is the principal thing? Hear, my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. Here's a parental uh, situation. God the father were his children. And as parents, this should be our goal with our children. Helping them understand the importance of wisdom, of making wise decisions. For I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, let your heart retain my words, listen to what I'm telling you. It was incredible how much my dad learned when I went to college. You know, I went to an all-male school in Pennsylvania, and I saw guys getting in deep trouble because they were doing things my parents had told me don't ever do. And it was sobering to watch what, what happened. It was almost like picking off flies. The guys would do this, they'd do this, they'd do that, and wind up in deep trouble. And I just began to realize, wow, the reason they didn't do that is because my parents told me not to. And I didn't understand why they said those things. I remember telling my boys one time when they were growing up, I said, watch this little boy who lives up the street from us. I said, he's going to get in trouble. Dad, how do you know? I said, well, I was a kid once. And I know when I'm coming home at 11 o'clock or 11.30 at night from a visit, and he's up there with one or two other kids, they can't be up to anything good. And he got in trouble. He would want to come down and play basketball at our place. You know, we put up a basketball hoop so the boys would be in our yard, not in somebody else's yard. So we could keep an eye on him. And he would come down with his boombox radio. And I said, you're welcome to come down and play, but that radio goes off. Dad, you're mean. <laughs> no, I don't want that influence on our driveway. It was unfortunate because his parents were gone all the time. He came home in the afternoon. Parents weren't there. And they let him run. And he eventually got home, I guess. 11 o'clock at night, 11.30 at night, and he got in trouble. But my boys, when they were young, well, Dad, how do you know? <laughs> well, I was a kid once. I know what I did when I was out at 11, if I was allowed out that, or if I stayed out that long. But Solomon is saying here, writing to his own children, he says, let your heart retain my words, verse 4, keep my commandments and live. The, the, the flip side of that is you don't keep my commandments, you're not going to live very long. Like the year that Scott graduated from his high school, a kid was killed in his senior year. I said, what time was he killed? About two or three o'clock in the morning, I think. What was he doing out at two or three o'clock in the morning? Most of the guys I went to high school with didn't do anything good when they were out to two or three o'clock in the morning. 
It was interesting, Scott's best friend in high school was the son of the, uh, the police chief. He wasn't in a church. But that kid wasn't allowed to do things that Scott wasn't allowed to do. I think that's why they got along with each other. They couldn't go various places. They had two mean dads. <laughs> but they stayed out of trouble for the most part, I think. <laughs> There's certain liabilities being a preacher's kid. But this is what Solomon was saying. He says, keep my commandments and live. You'll survive longer if you keep my commandments. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget, uh, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. That is wisdom, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Then comes verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. That's how important it is. Do we value wisdom as much as God values wisdom? What are some of the other values, very quickly, of wisdom? Turn back to Proverbs chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning about uh, verse 13. Now, these are the things that come if we grow in wisdom. This is why it is so valuable. And this is what we need to impart to our children and to our churches. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. We think happy is the person that gets drunk every night. I just tied one on, had a great night. <laughs> As you sit there, I watch guys in college hanging over a toilet for several hours. That could be more descriptive, but I think that's enough said. <laughs> and they said, I had a great night last night. What would you do? I don't remember. They don't remember what they went through. Didn't smell very good. Didn't feel very good. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. They're happy tonight, tomorrow night, the next night, have nothing to repent of. And the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies. The book of Proverbs talks about two things that are more precious than rubies. Wisdom and a virtuous wife. Wisdom and a virtuous wife, the Bible says, are more precious than rubies. Do you as a young woman desire and strive to be a virtuous wife? Or do you want to be an independent-minded <laughs> gal that just tells everybody off and just do it your way? And guys, do you appreciate a woman who has that set of values? Happy is the man who finds wisdom. Verse 15, she's more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare to her. Length of days are in her right hand. You want to live a long, profitable life? Gain wisdom. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness. You know, one of the most terrible experiences watching people make decisions, reap bad results, and be miserable. And to realize it could have been done a different way. There is a better way. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. That is wisdom. And happy are all who retain her. Happy. So happiness, pleasantness, there will be challenges along the way. But God says that he will intervene and he will work with those who work with him. Let's move on. 
Point number two is we've got to recognize the benefits and the value of wisdom. Maybe just look at a couple of more things here quickly. In Proverbs 6.32, let's just look at a couple of benefits and values of wisdom, which are totally different from how the world views things. In Proverbs chapter 6, again, it's advice of a father to a son, but this could be a mother to a daughter or a father to a daughter. You just have to change the circumstances a bit. My son, verse 20, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Listen to your parents. And parents should be worth listening to. Sometimes, well, I'm telling you because I'm your mother. I'm your father. <laughs> but it's got to be words of wisdom. It's got to be words of wisdom and to share with our children lessons we've learned, sometimes the hard way, so that they don't have to learn the same lessons the hard way. My son, keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. One of the bits of advice here. Uh, in verse 24, this parental advice is to keep you, that is the son, from the evil woman. And it could be to a daughter to keep you away from bad guys. And we need to explain who and why. From the flattering tongue of a seductress or some smooth guy that comes along. Oh, you've got beautiful eyes. How would you like to come home to mommy tonight? <laughs> We were traveling in Europe a number of years ago, and these two American girls, the, the train stopped somewhere in northern Italy. And these two girls came running up to us as Americans and said, Would you, can we just sit with you? These two guys are trying to take us home to their mommy. <laughs> Wasn't taking her home to their mommy. <laughs> they were two smooth-talking guys that were after two girls that were alone in the train station again at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning because the trains had stopped. And we've got to... Help our young people, and sometimes older people, understand that just because somebody comes along with a good line, don't buy it. You need to ask a few questions on your own. Down in verse 32, just to skip ahead, it says, Whosoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding, is stupid, is a fool. But that is not the world's value system. The world's value system is, hey, I had a couple guys last night or a couple girls. I'm a real man. I'm a real woman. No, the Bible says whoever commits adultery or commits fornication lacks understanding. Their head is not screwed on right. They just don't understand. They don't understand the consequences. They don't understand what they're getting into. Chapter 7 says pretty much the same thing. Talks about uh, verse 7 here. And it's just a little parable. For at the window of my house, I looked through the lattice, I looked down into the street, and I saw the simple. I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along a street near her corner. And he took the path to her house. She says, Whoa, come in here. Come on, Sonny. You know, I was in. Amsterdam, I believe it was. I wanted to go see one an old church down in an old part of Amsterdam. And it was incredible. I walked down and saw the church, and I started walking around the church, and I saw these gals. Hi, come in. Very scantily clothed. And each one had their little plate glass window. And I thought, here's the church. Here's these girls. What kind of place is this? And I began looking around, and it was the wrong place to be. 
But the Bible says, look, here's the situation. Avoid it. Stay out of it. I saw a man devoid of understanding. It could be I saw a girl of uh, lacking understanding. She was just listening to this guy. He was smooth talking to her. She bought the whole line. We've got to help young people understand. In some cases, older people understand. Verse 21. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. Oh, you're so strong, you know. You know, I just feel so good when I'm around you. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Verse 22, immediately he went after her as an ox to the slaughter. Yeah, he's, 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 he's on a slippery slope. There he goes. He's, he's, he's gonna, his days are numbered. I mean, that's what it's saying. Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would take his life. Now, that's not the value system of the world. That's not the value system of the world. The world says, boy, the more you, people you have and the more things you do, you, you know, the, the, the more macho you are. The more of a guy, the more of a gal you are. The Bible says you're stupid if you do those things. You lack understanding. You lack wisdom. And these are some of the values that we've got to impart to young people as they grow up. <clears throat> we've got to recognize the value of wisdom. It'll keep us out of trouble. It will keep us out of trouble. It will help us avoid terrible situations that bring a lot of heartbreak and in today's world bring a lot of disease. This can be avoided. I was teaching a health education class a number of years ago in Massachusetts. And I would say probably two-thirds of my class were graduate students. They were teachers, men and women that were teaching high school, teaching college. And we were covering a section on uh, sexually transmitted diseases. And I just made a comment. I said, you know, if you don't mess around, you're not going to have to worry about many of these things. And a girl, probably 20, 21, 22, blurted out in class. She says, are you for real? I said, if you don't mess around, you won't have to worry about some of these sexually transmitted diseases. Are you for real? I looked at her and said, I'm for real. I said, your textbook will tell you the same thing if you read it. And I saw some other people nodding knowingly. But this girl was still there. She was on cloud. She was in left field, another planet. Uh, but she had imbibed of the value system of this world. You know, we should be imbibing and, and sharing the value system of God's way. Wisdom will keep us out of trouble. <clears throat> One or two other comments just on the values of wisdom. Let's turn to Daniel. Notice what wisdom did for Daniel. <clears throat> I guess this also is a theme that runs through the Scriptures. <clears throat> In Daniel chapter 3, he's talking about uh, Nebuchadnezzar and how he picked out a number of young Israelite kids to work with. In verse 3, it says, The king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. And he wanted to train them, work with them. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. 
Nebuchadnezzar was looking for sharp young men and possibly sharp young women. But he was looking for certain qualities, and wisdom was one of the qualities. Notice in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Again, these are verses we tend to read over sometimes without really asking a few questions. They could be very informative. In Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41, it says, His parents went to Jerusalem. That is, the parents of Jesus Christ went to Jerusalem every year at the feast. When he was 12 years old, he went up to Jerusalem, and he wound up asking questions of the leaders in the synagogue, questions they couldn't answer. He was probing. Well, how do you know this? And do you know this? And what's going to happen here and there? After kind of uh, embarrassing the people who should have known the answers, they realized this kid knows more than we do. They could have gone to his head. Mom, Dad, look what I just did. I put down the, the guys that are supposed to know everything. But he didn't respond that way. Verse 51, it says, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart, pondering. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. How do we grow in wisdom so that we gain stature with other human beings? What did Jesus know? What did he do? <clears throat> Let's look at a couple of things. Point number three. Point number three, if we want to grow in wisdom, we've got to recognize the real source of wisdom. The real source of wisdom. You know, Solomon mentions in Ecclesiastes, he says, of the, end, of, the, of the making of books, there is no end. You know, I've collected a lot of books. Some people say, do you read all these things? I say, No. <laughs> I buy some for the titles because they make interesting titles that may make an interesting article down the road. I may read bits and pieces of a book to get a perspective. It would be a waste of time to read all of them because in many cases the authors don't know what they're talking about. But you, you, you get something, a bitter piece out of something. But Solomon said of the making of books there is no end. And he also said that in much knowledge is much sorrow. You know, if you're looking for the purpose of life, you check into some of the biggest libraries on the face of the earth and you just start reading, <laughs> you're going to read till your eyes turn upside down and you're not going to find the meaning of life. You're not going to understand the purpose of life after reading all these things because they just don't know. But we've got to recognize the real source of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Again, I read these things when I first came into the church, so I'd go to this verse and then I would start praying and nothing happened. <laughs> there were other things I needed to do. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The point here is the Word of God is the source of wisdom. And a person is a fool if they despise what is revealed in the Scriptures. The word for beginning here is an interesting word. Some of the translations pick this up. So the fear of the Lord is the starting point of wisdom. It's where you start from. See, God reveals in the Bible that a woman should be subject to her husband and a man should be head of the family. That's the starting point. Now, some people have started there and got off in the wrong direction. I'm the head of my family. Shut up, woman. <laughs> Wrong direction. 
So he, is, he is to be the head of the family, but a loving head of the family that seeks advice and counsel and shows love and respect and concern. You know, this... i got to watch out, get hurt. <laughs> you know, this I'm in charge business it gets people off in the wrong direction. And girls, you need to find that out before you say I do to a guy. Because if he's very controlling on a date, well, where could we go? I'm in charge. I'll decide where we're going. Be careful cutting a deal with a guy like that. <laughs> you know, we just need to understand these things. The starting point is where we start. A man should be a loving, gentle, concerned, compassionate head of a family. And a woman should want to follow and be supportive. And hopefully, marry a fellow who you do respect and you can follow and put faith and trust in. To the starting point, but where you go from that starting point could be 360 degrees. We've got to follow on the rest of the path. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the starting point. People that think the earth or assume or conclude beforehand that the earth was evolved out of nothing has started from the wrong starting point. But if you read in the scriptures that God created the earth and then you start looking for the evidence, you will find it and you will move down a totally different path. See, the fear of the Lord is the starting point from where you have to start. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. Amplification of the same bit of revealed information. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the starting point to wisdom. And knowledge of the holy, knowledge of the scriptures is understanding. And why do we think the way we do? Why do we have temptations that we do? The Bible reveals all those things. See, it is the starting point of wisdom, the starting point of knowledge, the starting point of understanding. One of the reasons for proving to yourself that the Bible is the inspired word of God is so that you can use it as the starting point of wisdom. Because some people say, look, you're stupid. It's an old book. It's ancient. You know, the authors are all dead. Uh, they come up with all these arguments. You have got to be able to deal with the challenges that come along. The gentleman that told me, he said, Sonny, the Bible's only written by men. I could not challenge his academic credentials. I couldn't challenge his respect. But I had done enough work to understand that's his opinion. <laughs> That is his opinion. There is evidence that there is a God, and there is evidence that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And with that, then, you can begin to deal with some of these challenges. But you've got to prove to yourself whether or not this is the inspired word of God, whether or not there is a God, whether or not these principles work. I remember a minister asked me when I first came into the church, he says, why do we want to be baptized into this church? I said, well, because... You know, your understanding of prophecy is right on target and, and all these explanations of scriptures work. And then I turned around and I said, why are you in this church? Why are you here? He said, well, prophecy is important. But he said, you know, the way of life works. I didn't have the background to understand fully what he was telling me at that time. But he said, the way of life described in this book works. Prophecy is important. Correct explanations are important. But the way of life works. The proof is in the pudding. Psalm <clears throat> chapter 119. Notice David's attitude. 
He understood that this word was the word of God and that it was important. That it was the source of real wisdom. Psalm 119. <clears throat> and if you can just put in your notes, uh, we'll start in verse 97 and 98, which gives you an insight into David's mind, how he looked at the scriptures, how he looked at what God had said. Verse 97, he says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. In other words, I think on it. I ponder on it. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. The Bible says don't commit adultery. It says flee fornication. The world says exactly the opposite. People that follow the world's approach wind up in multiple divorces and wind up with disease, some of which cannot be cured. God said you can avoid all these things if you don't go in a certain direction. David said in verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You ever wake up at night and the lights are going off and you trying to find a light switch or the bathroom or something? And you stub your toe, you run into the walls. But if a light comes on, ah, there it is. God says his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's not a book for old fogies. It's not out of date. It doesn't need to be edited. It works. Recognize the real source of wisdom. It is the scriptures. Point number four. <clears throat> if we want to grow in wisdom, we've got to actively seek wisdom. We've got to actively seek wisdom. You can go back and read in 1 Kings 3. Solomon had a dream, and in that dream he tells God, look, I'm, I'm just like a little kid. I, I'm really inexperienced. He said, you know, I need your guidance. I need wisdom to be able to rule such a great people. He was humble. He was teachable. I read that, and I started praying, God, give me wisdom. I didn't have any people to rule over, but I was praying for wisdom. And like I said, nothing happened. I had to realize there's more to the story. As Paul Harvey used to say in his news broadcast, you know, now you know the rest of the story. There is the rest of the story relative to wisdom. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 8. Well, I was asking but I had to realize I then had to seek and knock, actually begin doing things if I wanted to become wise. What do we do? What advice has God given us? What advice did Solomon offer for his son or for anyone young enough to learn? <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 2. It took me a while to get beyond Proverbs chapter 1 7. You know, it said the beginning of wisdom is a fear of God, okay? Then what? Proverbs chapter 2. My son, my daughter, if you will receive, or if you receive my words, if you listen to what I'm trying to tell you, and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom. You've got your antennas up. You're listening. And you can listen to a lot of conversations. You'll hear a lot of uh, uh, words. Some people are very good at filling the air with words. But a lot of times they don't say very much that's worth listening to. If you will incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, 
I mean, you're really looking for you know, bits of, and pieces of wisdom. If you cry out for discernment, God, help me see, help me understand. You know, help me find your church. Help me find where your work is being done today. Guide me, show me. If you cry out for that, if you lift up your voice for understanding, God, I'm planning to get married. I need to know how to be a good husband, a good wife. You know, I'm, we're going to have children. I need to know how to be a good parent. Help me, show me. Help me find the information that I need. Then the promise, verse 4, If you seek her, that is wisdom and understanding, as silver, and search for her as hidden treasure. When we were living in New England, they were searching for a treasure ship in Cape Cod Bay over two different summers. They had boats down there, towing sonar equipment, rain, sun, wind, waves, whatever. Millions of dollars were invested looking for a treasure ship. And thousands of hours just pulling a sonar device back and forth and over the, the ocean bed up there. I mean, they were serious. Do we approach our search for wisdom with the same degree of earnestness and seriousness? It says, if you do that, you cry out to God, you incline your ears to his advice, and you search, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. We've got to be reading the book and then looking for confirming evidence. I was asked one time, says, why do you read other books? Why don't you just read the Bible? We'll get to the answer to that in just a minute. You know, if we look for confirming evidence of what the Bible has revealed, then you can speak with power and conviction. Look, here's the lesson that this person learned, and they've written a book about it. You can speak with much more conviction, and you'll be able to act with more conviction if you know that if you follow the book, people succeed. And you can list a whole series of examples where people didn't follow the book, and they mess up big time. You know, there are reasons for doing these things. God gives wisdom out of his mouth and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And he's a shield for those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and he preserves the way of his saints. You know, the Bible says that God will bless those who bless you if you're doing things right. And he will curse those that give you a bad time. You see, you could pray for mercy for those that give you a bad time if you're doing things right. God, be merciful on that person. You know, they were not too nice to me, but to be gentle with them. And God will notice those things. <clears throat> We've got to seek after wisdom. Proverbs, excuse me, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I got ahead of myself for just a minute there. Ecclesiastes 12, beginning in verse 9. Solomon did more than just pray. And just study the scriptures. Verse 9, Moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. In other words, he gathered together useful, valuable information. I mentioned the people in England that when I <clears throat> relocated from Ireland to England, I wanted to locate near an airport for the purpose of travel, <clears throat> be close enough to where church was going to be and Hopefully get close to Cambridge or Oxford or someplace like that that had a big library. So why do you have to live near a library? <laughs> this is because I found them very valuable. They'll be close to a good source of information. I realize the Internet can do various things. 
But you can pull off a dusty book off a shelf that's in Oxford, for example. It was written back in the 14 or 1500s and, and actually read the words in front of you and not breathe too much because the book is disintegrating in front of you. I mean, it's very exciting. But there are reasons for doing these things. When we're writing and speaking, we're dealing with ideas. And the more input we have, especially we filter it through the scriptures, is very useful, very valuable. But Solomon did these things. He gathered together information. The preacher sought out, verse 10, to find acceptable words, words that were useful, valuable, helpful. And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And the words of scholars or good teachers are like well-driven nails. Some of you are probably working in construction. You know what it's like to drive a nail and it's going home true. It's got a ring to it. Boing, boing. And you know, it's got to go straight in. And you hear something. Like, <laughs> You're like, oh, I've got to bend out and pull it out. Then drive straight. But the words of the scholars or teachers who understand what they're teaching are like well-driven nails. That girl that says, are you for real? Yes, I'm for real, and your textbook tells you the same thing. Boing. What do you do? You have an answer. You can speak from experience. And they realize, unfortunately, that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is part of our job as teachers is to gather information that can be useful this way. <clears throat> Let's move on. Point three was to recognize a real source of wisdom. Point four, seek after wisdom. What I'd suggest that you might do for yourself in seeking after wisdom is read through the book of Proverbs. And as you read through, maybe make some notes to yourself. How does a wise person act? What does a wise person say? How would I recognize a wise person? And Proverbs talks about go from the presence of a person when you perceive that there's no wisdom in what they're saying. Leave. Avoid fools. Don't spend time with them. And you should be able to perceive that in listening to a person talk in two or three or four minutes. Make a list of uh, the qualities of a fool. How would I recognize a fool? How can I avoid being a fool? What would I avoid doing if I don't want to be a fool? But study the contrasts. What does a wise person say? Proverbs talks about a wise person ignores an insult. Now, that's hard. Somebody comes up and says, you're a, f you're whatever. <laughs> Your first reaction, oh, I'll show you. This is a wise person ignores an insult. They recognize the person's a fool for actually acting that way. And they just kind of ignore the insult. But we've got to have a perspective that's bigger than just, he poked me in the eye, I'm going to poke him in the eye. Seek after wisdom. Study the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 17. Let's just look at that one quickly because it's an interesting one to look at. <clears throat> Proverbs 17, <clears throat> verses 27 and 28. You know, God has a sense of humor that comes through in some of these things. <clears throat> Proverbs 17, <clears throat> starting verse 27, says, He who has knowledge, a wise person, spares his words. A wise person doesn't say too much. Most of us want to impress people, so we just talk a lot. And we leave an impression, but it's not the impression that we were hoping to. A wise person spares his words. A man or a woman of understanding is of a calm spirit. They don't get rattled. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. 
You want to be kind and wise? Don't say anything. And then they don't know. You know I had an interview one time, and I walked in. I, I grabbed a clipboard or a, a folding leather notebook just before I walked in. Had the interview. And came back. I got the job. Went back the next day, and the girl, the secretary says, she said, you really knew what you were doing. I said, what gave you that impression? She said, you had a notebook yesterday. <laughs> See, I didn't say very much. I just walked in with a notebook. And she concluded something that I didn't want to dissuade her of concluding. <laughs> but God's sense of humor, even a fool is counted wise if he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of advice. It's a bit of advice. Point number five. We want to grow in wisdom, associate with wise people. If we want to grow in wisdom, associate with wise people. Proverbs 13, verse 20. <clears throat> See, we're known by the company we keep. Our perspectives will be shaped by the people that we spend time around, that we talk with, we associate with. <clears throat> Proverbs 13, verse 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise. It rubs off. But there's also a caution, a warning. But the companion of fools will be destroyed. See, their ideas, their behaviors will rub off. Proverbs 14, verse 7, something similar. It says, Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. If you hear somebody talking nonsense, just politely excuse yourself. Excuse me, I've got things to do. I remember when I was in graduate school, <clears throat> ran around with a bunch of guys who was not in the church at that time, and said, hey, it's coffee break time. Let's go look at the girls in the cafeteria. I went a couple of times, and I realized I was being called at that time. I realized this is not, <laughs> this is not good. So I began to put things in my desk drawer. Uh, Plain Truth magazine or something like that. When they would come by, hey, going down to the cafeteria, look at the girls. I said, no, I've got some things I need to do. I'd shut my door. I'd read the magazine or read an article on something, and uh, they didn't know what was going on. But I realized I didn't need that kind of company. I didn't need that kind of environment. So go from the presence of a foolish person when you perceive that the lips of knowledge are not in that person. You might ask yourself, who do you spend time with? How do you spend your time? In traveling through airports, I've been amazed. You walk into some of these airport bookstores and anywhere from one half to maybe two-thirds of the bookshop is all fiction. The people just grab and they'll spend two or three or four hours on an airplane flight reading what somebody else has imagined. Whereas you could spend two, three, four hours, which I really enjoy some of the flights where I stay awake. I can read a book. I can get a lot of things accomplished. I've actually had people look over my shoulders and say, what are you reading so intently? <laughs> you know, people notice because their lives are empty. And they see somebody that's focused and working on something and being productive, they wonder what's going on. But how do you spend your time? What do you focus on? What do you and your friends talk about? I mean, these are just things to think about. You know, many people go home at night. I was getting a haircut the other night. And the guy said, well, are you going home, put your feet up and watch TV tonight? I said, no. And I didn't make any other comments. I just no, I've got other things to do. But, you know, people come home and watch Archie Bunker, Bart Simpson, some of these talk shows. They're, they're associating with fools. 
They're not associating with wise people. And it does rub off. You know, some of the teenagers that watch some of the shows that are just filled with sex and drugs, these things are going to rub off. Well, everybody's doing it. This is, this is what rubs off. We have to let them know wise people don't do those things. Only stupid people do those things. You don't want to do those things. When it comes to reading, you know, set some goals for yourself. If you were to set some goals to read some autobiographies of wise people, read a couple a year, you're able to plug into their minds. Somebody asked, what did you do last night? Had an interview with Winston Churchill. You what? <laughs> read his autobiography. <laughs> but these are things that we can do. I recommended reading MacArthur's autobiography called Remembrances, Reminiscences. Here was a man who led armies, who restructured the educational system at West Point. He's got a chapter on how he did it. And what he went through and who he had to fight and what the, the pressures he had to deal with. Margaret Thatcher has written books about her memoirs as a prime minister in England. Got a couple of books, one by Lee, one by Lincoln, and one by Churchill on leadership. Lee on leadership, Churchill on leadership, uh, Lincoln on leadership. It's just interesting to read these things because you imbibe their value systems. You see how they thought. I've got to repent on this one I've recommended before, but Queen Noor, American girl who married King Hussein, wrote a book. And the subtitle, I think, is The Unanticipated Life. And I forget what the title is, but it's up on my bookshelf in the office. But here is a young girl. She did not anticipate being a queen. And yet girls she went to college with recognized she was different in college. She's got a bigger perspective. She thinks about different things. She's not running around with everybody else. They recognize she was different. And people should recognize we are different. There's nothing wrong with that. To set your sights higher. Omar Bradley has written a very interesting book. And he kind of profiles all the leaders in World War II. MacArthur, he said he was a, a, a glory hound. He was always staging various things. But he understood how to use the media. Eisenhower had various characteristics. Patton had various characteristics. Patton, a brilliant general. Bradley says he was the weirdest duck I ever met. <laughs> you know, he imagined himself living back in time, but he, he, had, he had abilities. It was very interesting. Bradley was kind of a, a second-ranking general, but here he was. He worked for all these guys and with them all. So he had some very interesting observations to make about leaders. And these are things that we can plug into, kind of pick the brains of these people. You can pick role models as a young person or even as an older person, pick a role model. You notice somebody does a good job with their kids, ask them, how do you do it? <laughs> what did you do? Somebody has their head screwed on right, ask them, how did you get your head screwed on right? <laughs> but talk with people. In many cases, they will want to share lessons with you. When I was looking for a job a number of years ago, I found that it was impossible to call up a department chairman of a university and get a job interview. We're full. We don't have any openings. But if I called them up and I said, could I talk with your department chairman? I'm thinking about changing my career, and I'm looking for advice. You're in the door right away. <laughs> because they want to share lessons with you. They wanted to give advice. These 
wisdom that I happened to stumble onto. I realized I couldn't get through the door if I was looking for a job. But if I asked for advice, it was open. And they were, they were willing to do that, wanted to do that. Associate with wise people if you want to become wise. Point number six, make it short. <clears throat> if you want to grow in wisdom, we've got to nourish God's spirit. We've got to nourish God's spirit. Now, you're familiar with the scriptures, Acts 2, 37 and 38. It said, if we repent, we're baptized, we make a commitment to walk God's way of life, we will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 5.32 says God gives his spirit then to those who obey him. But let's notice one of the fruits or several of the fruits of God's spirit. <clears throat> now, normally we go to Ephesians, but let's go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, because <clears throat> Timothy focuses on a dimension that I think we really need to focus on today. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is writing to Timothy as a young person that was not only needful of advice, but was willing to listen to advice. Paul mentioned, uh, therefore I remind you, verse 6, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The word stir up here means to fan into flame, to bring to a boil. If you've ever camped out overnight, you wake up in the morning, the fire's about to go out, what do you do? You blow on the coals and they start to get red hot and all of a sudden it bursts into flame. So what's being talked about here, we've got to stir up God's spirit by praying and fasting and studying, meditating on the word of God and striving to use it in our life. Verse 7, for God has not given us, talking about the gifts of God's spirit, a spirit of fear, of doubt, of confusion. Well, I don't know where God's church is today. I don't know where he's working. I, I just don't know. And my conclusion is somebody's not using God's spirit. Because one of the fruits of God's spirit is power. A conviction. The word there is dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. <laughs> you know, power, conviction. I know where the church is. I know what God is doing. I know this is the inspired word of God. This is one of the fruits of God's spirit. Of power, conviction. Not of fear, not of cowardice, of confusion. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love that you care enough to want to change circumstances that are hurting other people, that you're willing to spend your life today preparing to rule people wisely in the coming kingdom of God. You're willing to study leadership and study about wisdom as opposed to reading comic books and watching TV and playing video games and all this other stuff. A power of love and of a sound mind a discerning mind. Having spiritual discernment is one of the fruits of God's Spirit. Discernment plays into wisdom. I perceive. <laughs> I discern. This is not the way to go. You know, if we don't know where God's church is, we don't know where God is working, we're lacking in discernment. We're not using the gift of God's Spirit the way it could be used. This is a gift that God gives us if we're willing to make the effort. And discernment is sorely needed today. You've got 300 and some different groups running around all claiming to be the church of God. Can't be. Christ is not divided that way. God doesn't work that way. Point number seven. <clears throat> if we're going to grow in wisdom, we've got to keep the big picture in mind. 
We've got to keep the big picture in mind. We've been called to repent, change, grow, develop the mind and character of God so that we can rule with Jesus Christ in the coming kingdom of God. And for that, we need wisdom. In order to do these things, to rule with Jesus Christ, to bring peace to this earth, to restore a knowledge of true values in all aspects of life, we need wisdom. We need to be growing in wisdom so that we can look back and realize, you know, I am a year older this year, and I, I really do feel that I'm wiser this year. I've learned some lessons, in some cases, the hard way. I've had adjustments to make, but I've learned from that. I've been disappointed a little bit over the years when I've asked some of the spokesman's clubs that I've worked with, sometimes older men, sometimes ministers in the club or in the, in the group, please share with the congregation or with the club lessons you've learned in life. In some cases, they were not forthcoming. It was hard to believe someone lived 65, 75 years and not learned any lessons that they wanted to share. We need to be making lists of lessons sometimes. If you had one day to spend with your child or with your friend or with somebody close to you, what would you share with them? I remember reading an account of a person that was going to die in a few days and all they wanted to do was watch every movie they could see. And they spent two or three days just watching every movie they could see that they always ever wanted to watch. As opposed to sitting with someone they loved and say, you know, this is the most important lesson I've learned in my life and I'd like to share with this with you. Keep the big picture in mind. We've been called to reign with Jesus Christ. We read in Daniel chapter 12, the wise, the wise are going to shine forever as the stars in the firmament. I ask you a question at the very beginning. What are you doing with your life? What is the major priority in your life? Are you striving to grow in wisdom? Do you understand why we need to grow in wisdom? Do you understand the value of wisdom? Do I understand the value of wisdom? Do we? So that we're seeking it like buried treasure and collecting lessons that we can then share with others in the coming kingdom of God and share with others that we encounter in this life. Let's set a goal for ourselves in the coming year to grow in wisdom to grow in wisdom so that we can reign with Jesus Christ and be among the wise who Daniel says will shine like the stars forever.